Hi, my name is Jordan Mayer. Welcome back to Your Smile Makes Flowers Bloom, a podcast where I speak with other educators and parents about helping children thrive in our world. I just wanted to take a moment and acknowledge that we are living in a very challenging time. Over the last few weeks, life as we know it has changed dramatically. Over this time, I've observed many individuals stepping up to help in a variety of ways. I'd like to thank everyone who's on the front lines, putting in long hours and exposing themselves to the virus. Please know that you are noticed, you are valued, and we appreciate everything you are doing. It's during a time like this where we will need to reimagine how we do life. As a result, I think it's timely to have today's guest on our podcast. Dr. Jillian Judson is a brilliant educator and passionate about the role of imagination in education. She is the executive director of the Center for Imagination in Research, Culture, and Education. Her research is concerned with the role of imagination in educational leadership and pedagogy for students of all ages. With that being said, let's jump into today's episode. I hope you enjoy. Hi, Jillian. Hi, Jordan. (laughs) Great to uh, be talking with you today. I'm happy to be here. Great. So, Jillian, for... For people who may not know about you, just wondering if you could share a little bit about yourself and your role in the field of education. So my name is Jillian Judson, and I'm currently a faculty member at Simon Fraser University in Surrey, British Columbia, and I mostly teach around imagination's role in learning, but I was also a classroom teacher for many years, and um, I have the great privilege of working in our master's program with educators K-12 and even post-secondary that are looking to centralize imagination in their teaching practices. Um, my research interests include imaginative leadership, imaginative ecological education, imaginative museum education. The common thread is imagination. I like to say I traffic in imagination. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. And uh, I can say that the work that you do is is fascinating and I think just so exciting to be learning about as, as a master's student and all the implications that it has for for not only children, but learners of any age. Oh, 100%. That's the thing about imaginative education, the, the theory or the approach. It's not, it's not just something that kids are using today. We're talking about the way human beings on the planet think, the, the kinds of ways we as cultures have developed and the vital role imagination has played in all of that. So, no, it's much more... Um, applicable to realms outside of, you know, classroom teaching than people think. And that's exciting because more and more work is happening that's applying some of the features of the initially educational theory into other realms. Yeah. And I know that uh, Julie and I could talk with you on so many different topics, but I think one that we agreed upon is um, the topic of story. And just wondering if you could maybe share why that's important to you and how you see that um playing a huge role in imagination because I think when most people hear the word story it might mean something a little different than what you're referring to. Absolutely. Um, Just in working with educators, in talking to just colleagues, friends, story is misunderstood. Um, I think if we fully unleash the power of story in our teaching, in our businesses, we would be far more successful. 
So when I think about story, I'm thinking about literally the primary way in which human beings make meaning. And I'm also talking about the way historically that imagination has developed across time and through cultures. It's the, the point is, is that we are storytelling animals. Um, because we have language, we tell stories. No matter what language you speak on the planet, you tell stories. Um, so what story does is it gives us meaning. And now what I mean by that is when you tell a story, you're really just um, attaching an emotional an emotion or emotional response to knowledge. So the list is not a story. But if the listener or the reader feels something at the end, if you convey an emotion through the way you shape information, if you bring out its emotional force, then you are telling a story. And human beings do it all the time. I mean, if you asked anyone today amidst the COVID-19 crisis, how are you doing? They're going to tell you a story. They're not going to make up a fiction, but they're going to tell you how they're coping in a way that leaves you with a sense of their emotional investment or right. attachment. So it's important to me because I am really interested in educational leadership, I'm really interested in curriculum pedagogy, and unless we look at what we're doing as practitioners, as storytelling, and again, not making up fictions, yeah. but shaping information to bring out its emotional force, then we're really missing the mark when it comes to communicating with other human beings. Right. Just wondering if you could maybe share a couple of, of examples that maybe you've used in your teaching practice before. Um, uh, uh, there's so many. I mean, <laughs> um, if I'm thinking about the walking curriculum and, and how I want people to, to get outdoors with imagination and um, inquiry kind of focused walking themes, everything we want kids to explore outside has something wonderful about it. There's something yeah. awe-inspiring about it. Now, I mean, I do, disclaimer, I believe the world is wonderful. I believe mm -hmm. it's full of wonder. Yes. So for me, I look at the ways we can explore that world and turn it on for students so they see some of the magic within it. Right. Um, so if educators are outdoors looking at community, um, looking closely in their schoolyards um, and looking around the topic of habitat, well, what's the story of this topic? What, what's emotionally significant about habitat? Is it the idea of security? Do we want students to understand habitats as offering species, beings of all sizes, a sense of security? And then the fragility of habitats on one side, but also the resiliency of habitats on the other. I'm using different imaginative tools. Mm -hmm. So in the way you talk about habitats is the way you develop a story. Um, and I'm, it's more of a story form than a formal story. Some people would hear a story and think, oh, there must be formal characters and there must be a climax in the plot and there must be a protagonist. And I'm using the story much more, the use of story much more like the idea of narrative shaping, <laughs> um, the idea that human beings have narrative minds. So we do attach emotional responses to knowledge. Um, and so that's an example. How do you shape teaching about fractions in a way that is um, more engaging for students. Well, what's the story on fractions? Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean we're going to make something up, but like if we were reporters writing in the Globe and Mail about what fractions are, what is it? Is it their beauty? Is it their intricacy? Is it their simplicity? That's our story. Like, what are we trying to convey? Right. In graduate level work, uh, teach, planning a course on educational change. So what's the story? And I think for me now, going into my teaching planning with an open heart, I'm looking for the emotional connection. As a teacher who's a storyteller, I'm hoping to convey that it's all about hope. 
Yeah. So that is what I mean by story. It may be, for some listeners, seem too vague based on how they understand a story to mean. But as I said, I'm looking at more generally at the way human beings loosely but powerfully shape knowledge to make it more meaningful and memorable. Right. And I think something that's really exciting about imaginative education is, and something that's often forgotten, like you've talked about already, is just engaging emotions and making that learning very memorable and very meaningful for students is such a powerful tool. That's something that they'll remember for, for hopefully most of their lives. It's, it's, it's what we strive for as educators, yeah. but it's not what's at the heart of how we learn to teach. Right. So if, if we go into teaching whatever it might be, French grammar. Okay, I taught French for a long time. <laughs> French grammar. Nobody ever said to me, what's emotionally significant about it? What's the story? Like, don't just provide it as relevance. You could get a job in the national government. No, <laughs> what, what is it about the French structure, the grammar, the culture that you want students to feel? Yeah. And then what imaginative education offers are the tools that can actually bring that into the heart of your teaching. So you are, in fact, trying to, you're teaching in a way that makes, puts meaning-making in the foreground. Yeah. So, Julian, I'm just thinking, um, in light of the, the virus that is, is going around and with many parents and teachers and children needing to stay at home, how can teachers and parents make use of story in the coming weeks and, and months where, um, where children will likely be indoors or, or be able to spend a little bit of time outside? Any, any thoughts about yeah. that? I have a lot of thoughts about that, um, but... It, it, it's hard to provide enough detail maybe here, yeah. but I think we need to look at our learning opportunities and the students and the teachers as they think about how to engage students from a distance is to think about how to make whatever the students are learning a little bit more intriguing to them. Yeah. So a way into storytelling might be to frame topics in a sort of a mysterious way or as puzzles, not puzzles that confuse and frustrate, but a puzzle that leaves a student aware of something kind of unfamiliar in the familiar. So they're seeing something in a slightly new way. Um, encouraging, I know the language of imaginative education is about cognitive tools, but in using, the, using cognitive tools in how students are learning their math at home on our blog, on the Center for Imagination and Research, Culture, and Education, that's CIRCE, on our formal blog is called ImagineEd, education that inspires.ca. We have tips for imaginative educators, and it's also useful, I think, for parents because it says, for example, one tip is a vivid image. So mm -hmm. if your student, if your child is learning about something, can they describe in vivid image with detail how they're coming to understand this new idea? If they are, by using an image, you're evoking emotion and making it more memorable. Mm -hmm. How do you, um, how can you story shape your outdoor learning experiences, your indoor learning experiences? Certainly by encouraging students to write about their actual experiences right now. Right. But maybe give them not just my day-to-day, -day, but unusual, intriguing prompts mm. um, to, to begin to make sense of their own experiences in these odd times. So there's examples of how to informally interest students. There's a, um, Obviously, we've spent many decades talking about how to formally engage imagination in teaching and storytelling. 
that's the work of the Imaginative Education Research Group originally, and now Circe. So my, my long answer is, is still ongoing. My short answer <laughs> is there's tons of ways to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And, and I'll make sure to put um, those websites in the little write-up that I, I do afterwards. Perfect. Um, I think along with story, um, the word place comes to mind as well. And just wondering if you could talk about um, place and maybe a place that's been really, really special to you and uh, where, where there's a, a story there. Well, the, the idea that we, ha- we develop a sense of place, human beings are placemakers, which means they aren't in a, a location for long before they develop emotional attachments to that mm-hmm. area. And in terms of environmental, outdoor education, ecological education, whatever you want to call that, the idea that we can have emotional connections with particular places on the planet is at the heart of sort of conservation ethic. Do we care enough about particular places? Do they have emotional resonance for us? So in the realm of ecological education, the idea of place is closely connected because the places that matter to us are storied. So there's that connection in environmental and ecological education. I don't think we talk enough about place in in regular education, we almost have to go into this subcategory of ecological or outdoor learning to talk about place. Interestingly, way back, like in the dark ages, when I did my master's (laughs) thesis, it was about um, that I noticed that high school students tended to congregate in different locations in the school. Hmm. And it was studied why they congregated there and how those locations contributed to their sense of identity and belonging in high school. And interesting, because all the outdoor work I do now, I didn't look at any outdoor places, only indoor places. Okay. And so even even in that context, where it wasn't specifically ecological, we know that human beings are placemakers. Yeah. One thing that's going to come out of the current situation is that more people will have a, more of an opportunity to spend more time and develop more emotional react responses to their local immediate environment. We're mm-hmm. not going out. And, in, and this isn't always necessarily a positive thing. We can't assume that all the children that we aren't seeing in school next week are in safe, secure, nurturing environments. So that's a real concern for yes. a lot of us. Um, but there is a possibility that the time that children are spending with their families close to home might evoke for them some of the wonder and the beauty in the natural local environment in which they're in. Yeah, very, very much so. I didn't get to my own example. I think I missed that part of your question. I have really strong sense of place in to Saanich, British Columbia, mm. um, and these artists, arbutus tree covered rocky land of, of some acreage I grew up on, just between Beaver Lake and Prospect Lake. Um, it's just a place that if it were no longer here, it would just break my heart. It breaks my heart to know my kids don't don't get an opportunity to grow up there. But I think it's growing up there and and exploring that land and having a strong sense of its beauty has contributed to the work I've ended up doing in my professional life. Yeah, I could totally see that. I'd like to to share an example with you too, if if that's all right. Please. Um, Yeah, about 10 minutes uh, from where my wife and I live, uh, it's the Coquitlam River. And maybe three or four years ago, I had just brought my fishing rod down and I had heard that there are some some salmon um, swimming through the river. This was in October, I believe. And um, 
yeah, I found this beautiful beach where, where nobody else was. And um, I hooked into uh, two salmon that day. And um, just like a, a child in a candy shop, I just went crazy and <laughs> and was celebrating and, and fist pumping. And um, yeah, my wife and I have gone back many times and whether to just go fishing or go on a walk or just sit and talk. Um, and it's it's interesting because some people might walk by that spot and it may have no em- yeah. emotional connection to them. But for my wife and I, it's it's such a beautiful and important place in our lives. That's the, the interesting, you know, they say certain people end up with strong emotional connections to other certain people, right? Yeah. Same with places. Right. Um, somebody might have a, um, a very negative association with that particular yes. place, depending yes. on their experience. We are emotional animals. We're always engaging with the world with our emotions. And um, I've, I've known, you know, I refer to myself as a per thinker. Yes. I didn't come up with this, David Kresh, a psychologist in the U.S., said human beings never just think. And it's a real danger if you educate your shape lessons for students, assuming they're thinkers. Human beings are per-thinkers. We perceive and we feel and we think. And at the heart of it is feeling. So we can't avoid thinking about emotion, emotional response. The reason uh, we need story is because that's what per-thinkers thrive on. Mm -hmm. And it makes me think of um, one of the, the books that you've written. You The very first thing you talk about is an experience you had with a student who, um, I think they threw a, a bottle into the garbage. And, yeah. um, and, you know, I think they just kind of said to you, well, why does it even matter? And um, therefore, it seems like that was the start of um, your work with, ecological education and making sure that that kids did have um an emotional interaction with the outside world it was just a a wonderful human being this wasn't like a challenging teenager you know rebelling against the world this was a top scholar full ride scholarship student but had complete emotional disaffection when -hmm. it came to the environmental crisis what's it got to do with me so Knowledge wasn't enough. This student could tell you all about climate change, global warming, got A pluses on those, but didn't have a favorite place, Hmm. didn't have an opportunity to emotionally connect with the natural world. And it's out of emotional connections and sense of place that we see actual change. Behavioral change requires emotional connection. Yeah. Yeah. Julian, um, I'm wondering if you have a, a favorite quote at the moment or just, just a quote that you come back to in regards to education or, or teaching. Um, off the top of my head, which is my head a bit scattered today, as of most course. of us are feeling, yeah. but Rob Hopkins, um, he's quoting someone else here, and he says, if I could put this on a t-shirt, I'd say imagination is not a luxury. Now more than ever, facing what we face, everyone is scrambling to reimagine their lives. Hmm. Teachers are scrambling to reimagine education. Students are scrambling to reimagine what it means to be a teen in an era, a few months or whatever it might be of social isolation. Imagination is not just for Friday afternoons or for little kids. We are constantly, as human beings, asked to reimagine or envision the possible and right now today I think any parent at home with kids it's been six days home Mm -hmm. or longer actually is seeking possibility seeking meaning finding new meaning 
creating a new story. So that would be, I would just think it's so pertinent right now that we need our imaginations. We don't need to dismiss them as juvenile or make-believe. Imagination is what fuels all creativity and innovation and action. So that's where I would leave it. That's that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing. Well, thank you for having me on your podcast. Of course. Uh, Jillian, if people want to uh, learn more about you or, or the work that you do, um, I know we've talked about the Circe website. Any other places that I can direct listeners to? Yeah, I have a web page there. I can send you the connections for that. Um, but definitely go to Circe, C-I-R-C-E-S-F-U dot C-A, and the blog, ed, education that inspires dot C-A. Um, and I'd love to, I always respond to anybody who reaches out through the contact pages there. Okay. Well, Julian, I, just before we uh, end our conversation, I just want to say that um, you are a hero to me. And I know that it's a challenging time, but I just want to thank you for every effort that you are making um, to make the world a better place and to thanks, especially look out for children who are vulnerable. I, I've noticed that that's something that's really important to you. And um, if I can help in any way, please, please let me know. I was going to say you're like-minded. You're doing this in a time when people need podcasts and they need positive words. So yes, let's we make a good team. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, Take good care, Jillian, and uh, I know we'll we'll be in touch in the, the weeks to come. Absolutely. Thanks again. Okay, thanks, Jillian. Bye. Bye. Thank you very much to Jillian Judson for being on the podcast today. I feel inspired to think of ways in which we can work together to reimagine learning for children during this time. Listeners, if you would like more information about the work that Dr. Judson is involved with, please visit circesfu.ca and educationthatinspires.ca. I'd also like to share a book with you that Jillian has written. It's called A Walking Curriculum, Evoking Wonder and Developing Sense of Place. This is a wonderful resource intended to get children outdoors and help them learn about the world in meaningful and engaging ways. That's all the time that we have for today. Thank you very much for listening, and please stay tuned for upcoming episodes where we look at helping children thrive in our world.